The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. Well, I want to get into the Word this morning. Excited to do that. Uh, I'm excited to get into the Word for a couple of reasons. Uh, now, uh, last week we were down, some were out, some that were out last week or here this week. I want to encourage you, uh, if you missed last week, try to get caught up if you can. I, I believe last week's message uh, was is extremely necessary uh, for every person. We've been talking about uh, love and what makes up love, and, and we, we've found those uh, items in Corinthians. We're going to get there again in this message, but we began with patience, and, and then last week was kindness. Now, kindness is something that's very important. I mean, if kindness is lacking in our lives, uh, it's going to be very difficult, if not impossible, for us to walk in and share the genuine, the pure, the true love of God. Uh, and that's really a, a big deal. I mean, when you think about loving, and I know I'm talking about last week, and it, it, there's a reason for that, but if we're in a situation where love is, is, is in existence with kindness being void, we're going to know great suffering and pain. I mean, there's no way to love without being vulnerable. You've got to open yourself up. So when you're in a relationship that is founded upon love or that it's meant to be founded upon love, you're going to have this openness and vulnerability. And if kindness is missing, then you're going to have a great affliction, great pain. And, and really and truly, God's response to the vulnerability that's necessary to receive love is that love be based upon or filled with kindness, to, uh, to not afflict, to not injure, to not uh, create pain and sorrow. So patience and kindness. Kindness was last week. If you did miss that, I want to encourage you to get caught up. I want to get into the word for this week. Now, if you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to look for a few things. Uh, these are things that will come up as we get into the scripture together and uh, something that can... Uh, just give you something to look forward to and encourage you uh, to stay engaged in the Word. The first thing we're going to find, how to get rid of fear. How to get rid of fear, how to get rid of anxiety, the things that are troubling to your mind or to your heart, how to get rid of those things. Now, oftentimes we have ideas of our own on how to get rid of those things, but the Bible gives us a, a very direct and very specific element that's necessary in our life to see fear removed. Uh, a second thing that we're going to find is what leads to leadership. What leads to leadership? Now, you have to understand something. It's, it's kind of uh, an odd thing to think about leadership. It, it's become a tremendous uh, topic among Christians. I mean, if I went into the local Christian bookstore and I said, uh, can you show me your section on leadership? They'd say, yeah, it's over there. It's those three aisles over there. And there's, you know, a thousand books on Christian leadership. And then if I were to say, can you show me your section on being a servant? You'd probably hear crickets chirp. And, well, we don't really have a section for that, you know. But leadership has become this really hot topic. And what's amazing to me is Jesus spoke uh, uh, very few things about leadership and what's necessary to be a leader. In fact, he said that the leaders among you will, will serve. We're going to see something that leads to leadership in just a moment, something that needs to take place in our heart in order for leadership to be a, a possibility in our life, at least heavenly promotion to leadership to be a possibility in our life, and it's, it's important. 
The third thing we're going to find is how to be effective. How to be effective. Now, I want to just kind of inform you, as far as being effective is concerned, it's kind of a modern way of saying fruitful. You you know, you read throughout the scripture that Jesus is always talking about the need for us, the call for us, the purpose that we walk in to be fruitful. Really and truly, it's not a word that we use every day in our lives today, but the, the concept of being effective. There's something that's necessary in our lives for us to be effective. If we're going to put in the effort, going to put in the work, we we really want to see the result. And it's the result that makes us effective. If the result is absent, then all of the work, all of the effort, all of that was ineffective. It didn't produce. But there's a, 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 a call upon our lives to be productive, to be effective, and there are ways that we can live in order to see that we're effective. Uh, I want to get right into the word here. I mentioned before we're going to find out how to get rid of fear. We're going to get there in a couple of verses here, but I want you to start. We're going to lay a base here in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 14. Now, this is the same starting point we've had in the past two weeks. We'll probably continue to start here. It's a passage of scripture that would be nice for us to, to have a little repetition in in order to get this into our hearts and into our minds. 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, uh, it reads like this, Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. By this the love of God was manifest in us, that God sent his only begotten son Jesus into the world so that we might live through him. Now, we go on down to verse 11, and we see, Beloved, if God loved us this way, we also ought to love one another. It says that if we love one another, God abides in us. His love is perfected in us. And by this we know that we abide in him and that he abides in us, because he's given us his spirit. We've seen and we testify that the Father has sent Jesus to be the Savior of the world. Now there's a word there that we read that I want us to focus on. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So you really see two things that are the result of one thing. The one thing is if we love one another. Not if we love God, not if we, you know, go to church, not if we do those things, but if we love one another. It's very specific. It's talking about how you relate to and how you engage with the people around you. I mean, you can look around you and see the, the other in one another. If you love one another, then you have these two things that are the result of that. God abides in us, which is a wonderful thing. And his love is perfected in us. And that's really what I want to to focus on for just a moment. His love is perfected in us. What does that mean for God's love to be perfected in us? It's an interesting wording. It's an interesting uh, concept that you really see uh, in very few places. But you do see John use it. And when John uses it in his writing, he offers tremendous benefit and promise to God's love being perfected in us. I'll give you a passage of scripture. It's in the same chapter. But it's down a few verses in verse 18. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. Now when you get to 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, you see the benefits of God's love being perfected in your life. 
I mean, as he's writing, I'm going to paraphrase, but he's, he's saying there's no fear in love. But rather, perfect love drives out all fear. And the one that's afraid is afraid because of punishment, because the love of God has not been perfected in him. So for us to function and to operate in such a way where the love of God is perfected in us is to function and operate in such a way that there's no room for fear or anxiety to operate in our lives. And how we step into that perfect love is revealed to us earlier in John when he's calling us to respond to the commandment of Jesus Christ to love one another. We see this very important, this very necessary element that needs to exist in our life, and that's why we've been talking about what makes up love. I mean, I've said it jokingly in the past couple of weeks, but we use the, the word love loosely. I mean, I've loved tacos before, you know. I mean, I've said that. I mean, I've literally caught myself taking a bite into a taco and being like, man, I love this taco, you know. And then in the same, using the same word, I'll look to my wife and I'll say, I love you. You know, so she's right up there with tacos. <laughs> Some tacos anyway, you know. So the, the problem is love's become this really loose four-letter word. But we need to understand it because it's extremely important. I mean, the, the way that we love each other has the ability to, to bring into our lives a stability that is so great and so strong that there's no room for fear to exist. And I love that it says it casts out fear. It's not just that it occupies all the space and won't let fear in. It shoves it out. The fear that already exists, the, the junk and the garbage that's already there is pushed out, it's thrown out, it's cast out. So I want us to understand what love is, what, what the Bible describes love as, so that we don't just have it as an empty word that's been overused and used to the point that it's lost its potency in our vocabulary and then therefore in our understanding of it. So we've defined love out of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now we've looked at verses 4 through 8. Now these are, have been foundational verses as we've, we've operated last week and, and the week before. But there you see the Apostle Paul writing, and he's writing these words. He says, love is. Now I'm pausing there for a moment. Because my brain stops there. When you see love is, my brain thinks dot, dot, dot. Now, everything that's going to come after this is going to be identifying what makes up love. So that it becomes more than just an overused word, an underthought word, a word that's been used so casually that it's lost all of its authority. Love is, and he opens up with his description of love with the word patient. Love is patient. Now, we talked about patience and the importance of patience a couple of weeks ago. Love is kind. We talk about kindness we talked about kindness last week, and I, I want to encourage you, if you did miss that, it's extremely important. He goes on to say love is not jealous, it doesn't brag, it is not arrogant, it doesn't act unbecomingly or seek its own, it's not provoked. Love doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. Love doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness, but it rejoices in the truth. That love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, that love never fails. I want us to understand all of these elements that make up love so that we can understand what love is and be so willing to have that exist in our lives. Not just to be a receiver of love, but to be one that gives love freely as we're called to do. And the idea that love would be patient, 
you know, when we've spoken about patience. Oftentimes I can express to my children or to my wife, I love you. But can I with the same mouth and with the same clearness of conscience say, I'm patient with you? And I say that to my children. Kind, love is kind. Well, it's really easy for me to say, I love you. And oftentimes I'm saying, I love you to my wife after I've not been kind. Oh, honey, I love you. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But love is kind. I can say, I love you. But can I stand and say, I'm kind to you? She may hear me say, I love you, but is she receiving the kindness that makes up love? And then now we get to this other element as Paul's going through this list of the things that make up what love is. Love is not jealous. Now, my brain hits a brick wall right there because I know that the Scripture says that God is love. We're all in agreement there, right? Because God is love. We read it earlier out of 1 John chapter 4. And love is not jealous. But then I run into passages of Scripture like Exodus 34, 14, where it reads like this, You shall worship no other God, for the Lord your God, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. So that's why my brain hits a brick wall. God is love, but yet love is not jealous. So here's the challenge then. We have to ask ourselves, is that a good translation? Uh, does anybody here have a King James Version? You read out, does thou have a King James Nobody in here? I'm not sure what the King James is, but I'm pretty confident it's going to use the word envy. Now, that's a really good translation because the word jealous and the word envy, they really don't mean the same thing. If God is love and love is not jealous, then we're going to have a problem there, right? Because God is a jealous God. So we need to identify what jealous is. We need to identify what envy is, and we need to make sure that as we are getting the understanding of love in our lives, that we get the right understanding of love in our lives. Love is patient, love is kind, and love does not envy. So if you go to the dictionary and you want to look up jealous and you want to look up the word envy, you're going to find a couple of definitions, and and I'm going to share them with you, and I'm sure you're going to hear the difference. There's a pretty big difference. Now, if you look up the word jealous... Here's a couple of definitions that are given for the word uh, jealous. Intolerant of rivalry or unfaithfulness. Intolerant of rivalry or unfaithfulness. Now, in, in a display of love, I exchanged vows with my wife. And in those vows, there was a, a declaration of fidelity to be faithful. Now, my wife is obviously jealous for my faithfulness. Meaning that there's no room for there to be any monkeying around or horsing around with that vow. That doesn't make her operate outside of love. Rather, she's standing upon the foundation of love that was established in the exchange of our vows. Jealousy, intolerant of of unfaithfulness. Another definition of jealousy, vigilant in guarding a possession. Vigilant in guarding a possession. Now, see, these definitions begin to identify what jealous means. Now, all of a sudden, jealous doesn't fit as a good uh, interpretation or translation there. Then we get to the word envy. If you were to look up the word envy in the dictionary, you'd get a a definition as follows. Uh, The feeling of wanting to have what someone else has. Now we're getting somewhere. 
The feeling of wanting to have what someone else has. When I hear that definition, of course I think envy because that's what we just looked up. But I also think of the word covetous. Covetous. If I look up the word covetous in the dictionary, which is a very biblical word, you see a very similar definition. Desire to possess something belonging to someone else. Envy and covetousness, one and the same by their definition. To want what you don't have. To want what someone else is having. By definition, jealous simply means to long for something that might even be yours. Vigilant in guarding a possession. I belong to God. I'm bought with the price. And he's vigilant to guard me. He's jealous for me. So to have a clear understanding of this is important. And if your translation there says love is not jealous, you might just scratch it out and write envy over the top of it. Just to keep it clear in our heads so that we stay on the right track. Uh, There's a, a place where envy would come from. And remember, we're going to interchange the word covetousness with envy. They're they're interchangeable as far as the definition and the context that we're using it in. We're going to find out where these things come from. Because if love does not envy, we need to guard ourselves from allowing envy to come into our lives. And I really believe that, that in the day and in the time and in the place that we live, this is a great obstacle. A tremendous obstacle. So you're going to see that envy, its presence in our lives, or covetous and its presence in our lives, are really conditional upon uh, love. I want you to see this out of uh, the writings of John, 1 John chapter 2. We'll look at verses 15 and 16. Now when John starts writing here in, in chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, I want you just to consider that he's writing directly to you, giving you instruction giving you advice and counsel. And the words that he's writing to us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the words he's revealing to us begin with, love not the world, or do not love the world, nor anything that is in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I put the brakes on right there and realized, wow, this is a pretty powerful passage of Scripture. If my entire life is meant to be a catalyst for the love of God to flow through, in my mind and in my heart, revealed in my words and in my actions, if the love of God given to one another, poured out for all of us to love one another with, is the point, I want to be on guard that the love of the world is not in me. Because according to this passage of Scripture, it's pretty clear, do not love the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. This is a problem that we need to address. This is a challenge that we need to examine ourselves and make sure that the love of the world doesn't exist in our lives day to day. It goes on to describe what the love of the world would look like in the areas that we should examine. For all that is in the world, now here comes a description, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. John goes on to say that it's perishing, that it's dying. That to yoke yourself to it with love, to to tie yourself to it with those affections, would be to yoke yourself to something that's passing away. These things are not of the Father, rather they're of the world. But yet in our lives there's an attempt. An attempt through pride, an attempt through the eyes, an attempt through the appetites that exist in your body to bring envy into your life. 
to bring envy into my life. And it's something that we ought to have some very serious uh, time to consider. We ought to talk about it. We ought to examine it. We ought to be willing to discuss it with one another. Because this is an obstacle and this is a trap that's used by our enemies constantly to hinder the love of God from existing and flowing in and through our lives. So when you look at those things and you see this this list, the lust of the flesh, I mean, the flesh meaning your body, the things that your body has, there's a number of appetites that your body has. And envy and jealousy and covetousness and all of those things can have their place. Jealousy can be used for good because God is jealous and God is is awesome and wonderful in so many ways. But envy, on the other hand, can lead us astray. Covetousness, we'll find out more about covetousness as we continue in the word. In its root and in its nature is absolutely idolatrous. So examining our lives, keeping an eye to see to it that the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eye and the pride of life are not ports that are open for envy to come in and have its way, separating us from the love of God, are absolutely priority. Now, in your body, there are appetites. There are things that you have. Now, I see these things as as existing in thirst and in hunger and in in sleep and in rest and then in intimacy, whether that is just relational and friendship or it's actual physical intimacy and marriage being sexual. There are a number of appetites that you have. But when lust opens the door for those appetites to make way for envy to be embraced and celebrated, it can lead to destruction, a separation from the things that are healthy and that are life-giving and a leading into those things that destroy. Now, there's ways that we can combat these things. One is awareness, being aware that they exist, knowing what the appetites are and, and that there are attempts to operate and and bring destruction through those things into our lives. Just that simple awareness. Uh, We need to have encouragement around us. These are things that need to be spoken of. They don't need to be taboo. They need to be things that we can speak freely in the right company and in the appropriate setting for the purpose of receiving encouragement and the, the direction and the counsel and the love and the affection that we need to walk in victory of those things. If we cut that off, If we cut off those things, the fellowship, the affection, if we're silent about these things, the attrition and the erosion of the the fidelity that exists eventually gives way and you end up having uh, horrible situations, circumstances that are not prone to love functioning and operating as God designed. So when you think about your life, I want you just to think about these things. In what ways am I tempted? In what ways would I ever want what I I don't have? In what ways would there be room for envy to come in? And what's amazing to me is in the perfection of the word of God, you're not going to find something that is outside of those three elements right there. Something attempting to come in through the appetites of your body. Something attempting to come in through the eye. Something attempting to come in through uh, the pride that exists in life, whether it's selfish ambition or, or arrogance or just simple self-seeking. No matter what, it's going to fall into one of those three categories. And our victory over that envy, our victory over that covetousness is absolutely necessary for love to function in the pure and the, the, the full measure that God has released it into our life. There's a reason why our enemy wants us to covet. Now, I I don't think that 
that Satan thinks that any one of us are just such a giant threat to him that he is trying to destroy you. I look at, at the, the works that exist in this world and I see that he absolutely hates God, hates the work of our King Jesus, and you and I represent that work. It's that, that malice, that evil, that anger that is bringing these attempts and these temptations to cause us to stumble into our life. And there's a reason why covetousness is what he uses in those situations and circumstances. Your enemy wants you to covet for this reason. I'll give you a few passages of scriptures. One, because it's rebellious. If you take down uh, what God says in Exodus 20, verse 17, you have a simple commandment, you should not covet. You shall not. It's against the law, so to speak. Covetousness will lead to uh, destruction, separation. It will lead to uh, divorce. It will lead to uh, uh, all sorts of troubles and malice and evil. When we deal with rebellion in our lives, we're dealing with the thing that is anti-Christ. Jesus Christ, who would come to serve, not to be served, is the symbol of submission, even to death on the cross. And when we decide to live our lives according to our pleasures or what we want, rather than what God's instruction is, rebellion is what we're walking in. It's the reason for covetousness. It's the reason why it's being thrown in front of each one of us. Now, I mentioned to you before, one of the things we'd find in the Word today was what leads to leadership. Now, covetousness is going to affect your influence. I want to give you a passage of scripture out of Exodus. Exodus chapter 18, verse 21. So Exodus 18, 21, you see that, that leaders are being promoted. They're being identified. God is giving instruction for the leadership to exist in, in, among the people of God. And as he's giving this instruction, it includes a description of what leaders look like. He says, moreover, you should pick people who are able, who fear God. Let them be men of truth, hating covetousness, and place these over as rulers of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Leadership is something that is, is in your life, and your call and your purpose involves leading in one way, shape, or form. I love that there's different measures applied to this scripture. Thousands, hundreds, fifties, tens. Because it's not saying that only elite leaders live in such a way. But everywhere you see leadership, no matter what measure it's in, whether it's leading a household of, of one, whether it is leading a, a multitude, the one requirement that you see here listed is to reject or to cast out to hate idolatry or covetousness. Make sure that they're God-fearing. Make sure that they're men of truth, hating covetousness. There's something about this that stands out to me as something that we ought to examine. We ought to look at it. It ought to become a big deal to us. As we're examining God's call upon our lives to function and operate in the leadership that he's called us to, it's not just about reading all of the books on leadership that you can read, but rather it's about examining the heart to cast out all of the envy and all of those things that can lead to corruption. Our enemy wants to bring covetousness and envy into our lives because it affects abundance, the abundance of life that we walk in. Proverbs 28 verse 16 says, The one that hates covetousness shall prolong or have an abundance of days. And John 10.10 10 reveals the purpose 
that Jesus came. He came that we might have life and have it in abundance. Taking covetousness from our heart and from our mind leads to the abundance and the the satisfaction and the enjoyment of all that we do have rather than the distraction of what we don't have. And our enemy wants us to covet because it brings total ineffectiveness. Where there is envy, you have ineffectiveness. And I want to get into the scripture here to, to, for three passages as we, uh, as we begin to achieve what we've set out to achieve. Ephesians 5, verse 5, it reads as follows. For this you will know certainly, that no immoral or impure or covetous person who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Remember, envy and covetousness, one and the same, simply wanting what you do not have, simply wanting what belongs to someone else. It's attributed with uh, idolatry. It's, it's described as idolatrous behavior. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 reads like this, Therefore consider your earthly body as dead to immorality and impurity and evil desires and covetousness, which is idolatry. We see it in the scripture, it's established, envy is covetousness, covetousness is idolatry. If we can connect those dots, we'll see that envy in our lives equals idolatry. Wanting that which we do not have, desiring that which belongs to someone else, is going to lead to idolatry. Idolatry in our lives is the ultimate dysfunction. Idolatry active in my life or in your life is the point where all function, all purpose, and all call becomes absolutely ineffective. I want to give you a passage of Scripture. You'll remember we made the statement that we were going to find how to be effective. How to be effective. We, we, we work hard. We, we, we put in effort into our, our, our marriage and our children and our, our businesses and our, all of these aspects of our life. We put in effort, and we want it to be effective. How to be effective. We'll find it here in the Psalms. I want to read uh, from Psalm 115, and I want to give you Psalm 115, verses 4 through 8. As it's speaking about envy or idolatry, the result of covetousness and the envy that's in our lives, it speaks of idolatry. And it says this, that idols are silver and gold. They're the works of men's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have a nose, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, and they cannot walk. And they cannot make a sound with their throat. And then verse 8 is what I want us to pay close attention to. Those who make them will become like them, and everyone who trusts them. If the envy that exists in my life amounts to idolatry, and idolatry makes everything that I have in my life ineffective, like having hands that don't work, like having eyes that don't see, like having ears that don't hear, we've got to get the idolatry or the envy out in order to be effective. As the the description there, to have the hands that do work, to have the eyes that do see, to have the ears that do hear, the mouth that does speak. 
There's a number of, of situations and circumstances and life experiences that I've had where I have seen this exist. I, I've had a number of issues within marriage or, or family or, or church life where I've seen the same things happening over and over, where I want to break free from that behavior that would be considered bad behavior or, or unchristian behavior, but yet you seem to be back into it and stuck in it where it's repeating over and over and over. All of the efforts and all of the labors are ineffective. All of the apologies, I'm sorry, honey, I'll never do it again until next week, and then I'm sorry, honey, I'll never do it again until next week. I'm sorry, honey, you get where I'm going with that. All of the effort, all of the promise, ineffective because of some element that exists in the heart. I remember having a conversation with my wife where we were dealing with a scenario where I continued to do the same thing. Even though I knew I did not want to, my intentions were not to add grief or frustration within marriage, but I continued to do the same thing. And one day as we were speaking about it, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm telling her, well, I just don't know what to do. You know, I mean, I, I don't want to do that, but it seems to be now, you know, every time we deal with this, we deal with it again and again and again. And she said something, and when she said something, it, it's like the lights came on. She said, honey, I, I think this is a heart issue. Well, she was absolutely right. I mean, it was a heart issue. It's a, it was an issue of the heart. Now, had she said, honey, thou art an idolater, that might have been like, I can't handle that kind of, uh, but, but the way she presented it was absolutely effective. It was a heart issue. As I began to examine my heart, I realized there are, are, are points of envy. There are things that are leading and directing my words and my actions that should not be leading and directing my words and my actions. And until the heart issue is dealt with, I'm going to be ineffective in handling this situation. Something else was steering the ship. And until that was addressed, there was no room for progress in any of those scenarios. I want us to be productive. I want to be productive. I want us to be effective. I personally want to be effective. I want to have an understanding of what envy is, the covetousness that it represents and operates in, and the idolatry that results from that existing in our hearts and in our minds for the purpose of seeing to it that we do not walk in envy, but that we walk in the love that God's called us to walk in, that we address the issues of the heart so that love can function in all of its patience and all of its kindness, that it can be void of covetousness or envy. I want to trust and believe that God can do that in me. I want to trust and believe that God can do that in you, that in us, that love that we're called to walk in will freely flow from one to another. There where you sit, I want to ask you if you would stand with me this morning. Because of the work of Jesus in me and because of the work of Jesus Christ in you, everything that tears down the works of the devil and everything that establishes the kingdom of God exists in full force inside of you. Not by anything that we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. And as we consider the work that he would do, 
the full representation of God in bodily form, God who is love, I want to turn toward him for an example. Because when I see Jesus, I see all of the things that make up love. Love is patient. Love is kind. I can see that love does not envy. But satisfaction in what God has made provision for is going to be the key to a life that's free from envy and the corruption that envy brings. And satisfaction in what God has provided for you and for me is manifest in gratitude, thanksgiving, and thankfulness. Oftentimes when I found myself in the trap of wanting what I do not have, the cure or the solution is to turn away from that trap and to step into gratitude, to begin to give thanks. I mean, this is something that I'm sharing with you for a reason. I remember pastoring years back in, in a, a, a a church in Oklahoma, and, and there was a time of worship, and I, there was a, a stirring for a time of prayer, and there was a called time of prayer for people to pray. And, and in that moment, in that service, the call was for people to simply express their gratitude for the things that God has done in their life. Well, I agree with that, amen. Here was the surprise. That seconds into that prayer, you know, you heard the, the, like the Bible would say, the sound of many waters, you know, you just heard voices, and, and then after a few seconds went by, it started to diminish. Then after several seconds went by, it was silent. We've kind of fallen out of practice to express our gratitude and thanksgiving. You know, it becomes kind of habitual, God, thank you for my wife, thank you for my children, and thank you for... But I, I want us to, to seek after this, you know. I mean, rather than sit here and, and close the message with God, deliver us from envy, which would be a wonderful and righteous thing to pray. What I want is God lead us into gratitude. Let us become the most grateful people on earth. To know what we have and how precious it is that we wouldn't squander it with, with, with corrupt choices and decisions, but that we would cherish what we have. Because we would be aware of how wonderful and powerful and effective your provision in our life is right here and right now. Lead us to be the most grateful people on earth. That gratitude and thanksgiving would prevail, leaving no room for envy or covetousness to exist. And I really believe that when we pursue a life of gratitude, we leave no room for envy. We close the door to covetousness. And we cut off all idolatry. So there where you stand, you're welcome to join with me in agreement. But I want to pray for me and for you, for us all here right now. To have our hearts opened up to and our minds renewed to a lifestyle of gratitude. Father, we bless your name and we thank you. We thank you that you've revealed your perfect love to us in our King Jesus. And we rejoice, Father that love does not envy. And we ask for that love to be manifest in our lives and through our lives. And here and now we're asking for a transformation in our hearts and in our minds to live a lifestyle of gratitude. Let thanksgiving flow from our lips, that we would sing songs of thanksgiving, that we would pray prayers of thanksgiving,
that our thoughts would be founded upon thanksgiving for all that you do, for all that you've done, for all that you're doing. Let us become the most grateful people on earth. Let a work be done in each one of us that would deliver us from all uh, envy and covetousness and would lead us into a lifestyle of thanksgiving. Let the wonders of all that you've blessed us with rise in our heart and our mind. That thanksgiving would flow. That it would flow from our mouths as we pray. That there would be no end to the gratitude. As we say thank you for all that you've done on our behalf, let there be a release of all things envious and covetous. And let thanksgiving prevail. That gratitude and thanksgiving would be the foundation of our prayers and our praise. Let it be established in our life, identifying who we are as your people, a grateful people, that you won't leave or forsake, that your work in us will come to full fruition because of your spirit, because of the atoning work of our King Jesus, and because of your love for us. And let your love for us not only be revealed and released to us, but let it be poured out from us onto those around us that we might love one another, that we might walk in the perfection of your love, free from anxiety and fear, filled with gratitude and thanksgiving, and delivered from all envy. We bless your name and we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. And all the saints declared, Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.